I just knew I was done. I was ready for it. But part of why I was ready is because I was busying myself with a few other side projects. I guess somewhat of an exit strategy. And part of that exit strategy was this startup, a partner of mine who I grew up playing hockey with. We created called Propax. And it's trying to create a professional impact. It was leveraging professional athletes like myself and their lived experiences, the many transferable skills that we know athletes have, and using that to educate and empower and entertain over what ended up being a very interactive virtual platform. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Mark Fraser. Mark, thanks for doing this. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me out, Jess. Really happy to be here. So NHL hockey player for years, entrepreneur, with the doing stuff with the Maple Leafs now. You've, you've got a diverse background here, my friend. Yeah, well, I mean, like most Canadian kids growing up, I was fortunate or had the dream at least of being an NHL hockey player and was fortunate enough to see that through. But you know what? At the same time, wasn't uh, a person that, well, I, w- I wasn't the big franchise face, let's say. So I was more of a role player and grinder. So knew that there's always going to a future beyond hockey for me. I was not going to be able to just retire mid thirties and kick my feet up. So I kind of just always been able to continue on my grind and try to leverage sort of my previous experiences and interests and hobbies and to continue to open doors so that I can take one career in which, you know, you could easily say maybe it wasn't quite a career in the sense that it, if it's fun, it's not like quite work and try to leverage that into the similar opportunities post-athletic career. Um, so as long as I'm trying to do things that are of interest and, and sort of scratch my creative intrigue, I'm, I'm, I'm quite satisfied and fulfilled. Well, I love it. We're going to have to give a shout out to our, our mutual friend, Brad Mills, who's been yep. on the show here, got us connected. And did you guys... Play together at the Devils. Where were you guys? Yeah, we were with the Lowell Devils. Yeah, I remember actually when Millsy was first coming out of Yale when he had just graduated Yale and I think signed his first PTO, his first tryout with the Dev- with the Lowell Devils in beautiful Lowell, Massachusetts, which probably one of the only people who was saying <laughs> that's a beautiful town because it was a tough town. But yeah, so he came in then the next year or maybe we played together maybe for a season and then we were roommates actually for a year as well. I can't remember exactly how long time we spent together, but uh, I was fortunate enough to live with the guy for a year. So I, <laughs> I had a lot of memories, needless to say, from those days. Yeah, I consider that guy a high quality human. Absolutely. He's, I mean... He was different. I mean, and, and being an undrafted hockey player, but being like a Yale grad, you know, he's for I mean, that right there. He actually earned his degree and not to discredit a lot of, you know, collegiate athletes, but he earned his degree. So that was very evident kind of upon meeting him early on. Uh, he was a little bit unique, very well read, uh, pretty interesting perspective, but like down to have a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> as well. So there was no shortage of fun being had with him. So now which... Which NHL teams did you end up playing on, you know, over the years? I played, I started and finished with New Jersey, with the Devils. And in between that, I was with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers. I'd also signed like minor league con- or two-way contracts, but played in the minors with the Auto Senators franchise or, or Anaheim's. But yeah, New Jersey twice, Edmonton and Toronto were, were the NHL clubs that I, that I played for. I always like having fellow Canucks on the show here. I, so I lived in Edmonton. <laughs> like 86 to 90. 
Okay. And caught a couple of those Gretzky years. Oh, well, that's a pretty good. I was gonna say that's a pretty good time. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, great, that's, a, that's pretty, a great time to be an uh, Oilers fan. That, those, those, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's some of the last decent times to live in Edmonton. <laughs> and so, no, 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 no hate against Edmonton, of course. But are you uh, kidding? Edmonton is no, crazy. Yeah, the eighties Oilers were done. They're such good people in Edmonton. Well, exactly. It's, it, but like, it snows in the fall, and it just stays all till the spring it doesn't stay it's cold the year i played there i remember I, I left like we didn't make playoffs i left i guess in april to head back to, to toronto and then to ottawa and i still remember when my former teammate sam gagne like sending a snapchat out and i think it said like may 6th question mark <laughs> and it was like a view from his driveway just covered in like not like a dusting we're talking about like covered in snow in like the second week or first or second week of May. And I just remember thinking like, what? No, like, no, I'm from Ottawa. And I remember the piercing cold to like minus 40 degree, which is by the way, Fahrenheit and Celsius. That's where <laughs> the temperature meets again. And just thinking like, well, I thought I was like winter tough, but you're not until you've spent the winter in Edmonton. <laughs> yeah. Here we are two Canadians complaining about cold. That means it was cold. So, well, and, and tell people what you're doing right now for the Maple Leafs in addition to the other businesses you own or are part of. So right now, since March of 2021, I got brought in with the Maple Leafs to be their player development lead for equity, diversity, and inclusion. So essentially my responsibilities are to the players and the staff, kind of the team as a whole, and growing and creating a, a, a broader education, trainings, just continue to grow our own like personal perspective and awareness towards different bias we might have. But sprinkling that through internal cultural as well as an external reach to communities and programs in which we've never really spoken to or partnered with in the past either. We know that as far as hockey goes, sport in general, but as far as hockey goes, there's a lot of barriers for a lot of different racialized or marginalized individuals. Yet we, you know, with the Maple Leafs, we, we have a fairly diverse group to begin with, but there's still like a lot that needs to go to become more inclusive. There's still a lot that needs to change in hockey to actually provide equitable opportunities for all. Really at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is make sure that if you're, you know, a young black prospect who spent his entire life playing hockey, or you're a young Asian family just coming to Canada for the first time, that when you're walking into our environment, into our buildings, into our hockey, that it's a welcoming environment, that you don't feel so distant, you don't feel so disconnected, that this is a safe place where you can be your genuine, authentic self whether you're a member of the queer community, a female, uh, a BIPOC member, whoever that is. So it, it came from last year's truths that we were kind of realizing in 2020 alongside the pandemic and, and one sort of Black Lives Matter movement really kind of kicked off post George Floyd's murder. And hockey was very late, I would say, to respond to some of the social issues that were happening. I mean, things got as crazy as last year as we saw games and leagues across the board actually shut down, not necessarily just for the pandemic, but also for social uh, justice reasons. And hockey was always late to the party. So I was able to reach out to the Maple Leafs general manager, Cal Dubas, and, and kind of have a conversation and courage. I think this is a time where y'all really need to start looking for some diversity inclusion type of uh, roles or responsibilities. And seven months later, I was I manifested a position for myself. So that's that's what I'm doing now for for the team. And, I, and I'm really again from the lived experience of being an athlete and one of the guys in the locker room. I think it's a lot easier to to learn these messages or hear these testimonials from someone who maybe speaks the language opposed to you know a third party suit who's coming in trying to change hockey culture without yeah. really understanding what hockey culture kind of looks like. Sure. And tell people about Propax. So Propax is something like last year I retired and in, in the after the winter of 2020 
I had spent the last couple of years playing in Europe and I just knew I was done. I was ready for it. But part of why I was ready is because I was busying myself with a few other side projects, I guess somewhat of an exit strategy. And part of that exit strategy was this startup, a partner who I grew up playing hockey with, we created called Propax. And it's trying to create a professional impact. It was leveraging professional athletes like myself and their lived experiences, the many transferable skills that we know athletes have, and using that to educate and empower and entertain over what ended up being a very interactive virtual platform. So the platform that we have, the integration of the technology, we can it, it, it actually kind of created COVID-style conferences in a way that people actually left the room saying, I think I, I feel like I actually went somewhere instead of just <laughs> being on, you know, a Zoom fatigue type call or whatever some of these platforms are. But really just leveraging the experiences of the pro athlete, whether that be speaking on work ethic, diversity and inclusion, like my own lived experience, leader, substance abuse for youth. I mean, there, there's we, we had uh, for youth, we had 40, 48 or so different uh, modules. And for the corporate world, we kind of focus more on five or so from employee engagement and uh, female empowerment, diversity, inclusion, leadership, communication, th things along that. But again, it's just basing it off of the many transferable skills we have that we know as athletes. But when you step away, you're kind of thinking like, I know I have these transferable skills, but how do I actually implement that? And so we wanted to create a culture and an ecosystem to really empower the athlete uh, to share their lived experience and to do it coinciding along with this uh, curriculum that we've built out where anyone can essentially plug in and play their own lived experiences and anecdotes to become relatable to the to their new audience. And again, we just know there's so much lived and learned experience that that we can offer. So it's an opportunity to continue to be fulfilled and empowering others as an athlete. Yeah. Um, so ta slight tangent question here. When I'm when I'm Googling you sure. and there's all these places that are like they're making these guesses at what your career your career earnings are. Is that is that weird? Because most jobs, okay. people don't have like other people guessing what their career earnings were. <laughs> or is it just part of the um, culture because you're little, in sports? I, mean, I, I guess so. I mean, right now, I, I would I'd be baffled if anyone would actually accurately could guess what I made now. I, I really don't think no, no, would this have is any your kind of idea. This is when you're playing. But yeah. by playing career, they still won't don't really get that accurately because it might be what my contract was. But as an example, I, I, I mentioned playing with the Ottawa Senators or signing, sorry, with the Ottawa Senators. I only played in the minor leagues. So on my salary, I think, was $800,000. But I didn't play a single game up with that team. So I didn't make any of that. I was making a very small fraction of that, which was actually what my minor league salary was. So I've always thought it funny. There, there certainly is, I think with a lot of athletes, there certainly is a misconception of, of what the athlete makes, or at least in some situations. The Anytime I'd speak on on virtually anything that didn't, people didn't want to necessarily hear about, it's, oh, the spoiled, you know, you're just a millionaire athlete. What are you talking about? No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> I'm definitely not. You might see what my career total earnings were if I spent every day of my life, yeah, 14 yeah. year career in the NHL. But six years of my 14-year career were in the NHL. Yeah, though I always kind of laugh at that because there definitely is a misconception and, and it leads to people having sort of an impression of you and your earnings. Well, and that's kind of annoying because people can kind of approach you assuming like, I've had people literally say like, well, we know you're well off, so you should be helping us out. And I'm like, well, no, well, it's certainly not how you go about asking for it if you really needed it. And two, you actually don't know what my earnings are because... You yeah. wouldn't be asking for my help if you actually knew what I made last year spending the year in the minors, right? So You know, this is this is one thing I will say. I I think that sometimes sports stars get they get this like version of them that's displayed in the movies or TV, right? And it's not always the most flattering. It's like the jocks in high school or something like that that just carried on, right? 
And yet right. my experience is where they have like, you know, it could be anybody from like NBA, NFL, NHL to like professional kickboxing or something that I have on the show. I find mm-hmm. them the number one person to downplay their accomplishments. They're always like, well, I spent a lot of that time in the minors. <laughs> They're always, it's funny how much I find people from your community, unlike the Hollywood stereotype. And I guarantee there are arrogant jerks around, but my experience in general For has sure. not been with them. It's been people who are, they're hard workers. They take personal responsibility. They they try not. To, they're trying so hard not to take credit they don't deserve. They actually downplay their accomplishments. And mm. I'm wondering if you think there's any advantages to that kind of humility. Well, definitely. I think it happens for a couple reasons. I mean, at least in my own experience, I was one of my hardest critics. And I know, say, a lot of my friends would look at me. My childhood friends would say, "Well, you're the most successful friend that we have or that we know." But in my mind, I look well. My potential as far as being a NHL hockey player I mean I, I in my opinion I should have played over 10 years in the league and I only played six now I'm not disappointed about that now I'm very proud of all my accomplishments but because I was the one setting my own bar to set this own goal and obviously we don't always make every accomplish every goal you keep setting new ones but maybe some people never win a championship and that doesn't discredit the work you've done but it maybe doesn't mean you're career was as sexy or as accomplished as you were hoping it one day was going to be. Now, anyone who wasn't along for that journey, actually putting in the sweat equity and the commitment and the sacrifices, only look at that on the surface and say, well, that was a hell of an amazing career. But the person going through it was like, it certainly was, but I kind of fell short of a few things I wanted to accomplish. And therefore, I have this humility where I can't walk around being like, I'm the best thing since sliced bread, because I know compared to my hockey peers, I don't have the most luxury or the most, you know, accomplished or acclaimed career. But to friends of mine who grew up like never playing competitive hockey, <laughs> I, I maybe do. So it's, I Isn't think it, it speaks just a lot to sort of the pers- the perspective from the outside and those who are in it on the inside. Because even the, even making to the NHL took so much hard work and sacrifice that it wasn't, although that's an amazing accomplishment, I don't look at it like, oh, I'm the boss because I did it. I look at it like, well, I had to work my ass off and I did it. So I'm just kind of this normal guy who who's successful at something no different than anyone else is successful at their own. It's funny to me, though, I will say this to you, of like the ambitious people who are getting somewhere in life who, who actually accomplish something so often. And I think that this can become a negative, but so often I find are comparing themselves to people just above them. And like, I get it. I do it myself. Like, we're not comparing ourselves to the people we already passed. We're comparing ourselves to the people we, lo- we looked up to. Right. And like, I've had people on the Absolutely. show who are like actual billionaires or who have run multi multi-billion dollar companies and they're like well i'm not warren buffett <laughs> i'm like yeah there's one of those yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean right yeah um exactly but the rest of your audience thinks you are yeah, yeah. so okay a couple questions i asked brad mills that i want to ask you first one is tell us about your first goal in the nhl <laughs> okay where was it um, what was that experience well- like this is easy to remember because i only have a handful of them it was in pittsburgh I was 23. It was my rookie year in New Jersey. I had already played a few. Like when I was 20, I got, I think, seven games as a call-up. But then like nothing for a couple of years. So I was 23 years old. At the start of the season, it was my first game. I got injured in training camp. So it was my first game like back. All the family was watching. I remember it was October 28th because it actually, or wait, 24th, sorry. Because it actually just ended up being on my wedding anniversary. 
But it was my grandmother's birthday. It was my biggest fan too. So family's watching like Mark's <laughs> back in the NHL after a couple of years. He's playing in Pittsburgh. I was playing in the in the old igloo before they tore it down. And Marc-Andre Fleury was the goalie. And I'm a left defenseman. And I just kind of, my team was cycling the puck down low. One of our wingers was like kind of curling around behind the net. And my coverage just like wasn't really on me. I noticed like the wingers like, he's not really paying much attention to me. So let me just creep in a bit, creep in a bit. I got a pass from my teammate, Nick Bergforce. He was a first round draft pick to the Devils the same year I was drafted. And I took this booming one-timer shot, which slid on the ice. It hit Flurry. Flurry went down, made the save. It hit like a stick and went up in the air. And then he reached with his glove to catch it. And he knocked it over his own shoulder into the net. <laughs> so I tell people I scored a one-timer shot that went top corner on Marc-Andre Fleury, one of the best goalies of our time. Now that's true. Now I don't need to tell them that he might have like kind of not on purpose banged it into his own net. But regardless, I had a beautiful one-timer goal. And what was cool about it again is that, yeah, I think it was only my eighth NHL game. So I had those seven games years prior. And this was like the first one in years. And, and you know, a bunch of family, everyone's kind of tuned in because it's it's a momentous occasion. And sure enough, yeah, I was able to, uh, I was able to pop my first one. And I actually remember like a bunch of the guys face, like the smiles I had from my teammates because I was, you know, a rough, rugged defensive defenseman and the excitement from them seeing like me score and how proud they sort of were. That's one of the lasting moments. I, I kind of remember about that, but I was later on able to get another one on Marc-Andre Fleury. So I kind of, I shoot 66% on him. So it's uh, <laughs> the, the, the silly, the, the bad, the bad mistake of a goal. The, I kind of got back with a much better shot later on. <laughs> um, you know, I, growing up in Canada, I was around a lot of hockey. I was too busy doing competitive judo and snowboarding. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do it. And plus all the games were on Sunday and I was at church. So, but, yeah. <laughs> but the, but I, kn- <laughs> I know how intense, you know, I know how intense it, it's like a lifestyle for families. I mean, like it's, it's not like, you know, I played baseball too. I played basketball too. And it was like, my mom's like, yeah, mm-hmm. hop on your bike, <laughs> right? Take yourself down to the diamond. And I yeah, know yeah. some baseball families are a lot more intense than I was. Right. But like hockey is like, it's like yeah. a family commitment. Like it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not like, Oh, hey, it's volleyball season. Jimmy's in volleyball. Like hockey is a different thing. So I can just guess for my friends that I grew up with, like they're like I have a friend who is really, really good. He ended up going to a hockey school and stuff like this. Right. And I just know what it would have meant to him to have ever scored an NHL goal because, I mean, he'd left high school and was going to hockey school. I mean, like he was they were in it. Right. Mm -hmm. How many how many years had you been playing hockey before that first goal? Oh wow! If you're 23, so when I was did you, 23, I was 23 when I first like play like like what would have been Tim like Timbits hockey these days like hockey school I think is just what we called it back then. Four, I think it was yeah four five and six I think were the ages where I played like Timbits hockey school and then mm-hmm. by the time I was seven I actually was playing novice so it was uh, actual like house league but it was on a team instead of just like the Saturdays yeah. at the local rink learning how to like stop and stick handle sure but yeah four years old so I mean that's well basically 20 years yeah um or just under 20 years I would have been on this journey before scoring my first NHL game yeah so um you talked about like the smile on your teammates faces and how happy they were for you <laughs> yeah. right I'm mm-hmm. interested in the reflections what was it a day later or a week later what what how did you reflect for myself or for yeah, for, for myself or for like my no for you like a day later I, I later that di- night or what was it how was it different than the actual experience to look back on it i probably i probably still would have been buzzing for sure i think a lot of that for myself is 
So I had already played those NHL games a couple years prior, as I mentioned. And that, I mean, anyone I've had, like a teammate or someone who I was with in the minors who gets called up and gets to play their first game, I'd, I'd, met, I'd reach out to them and I'd say, like, it's done, it's official, like, you, you're an NHLer. No one can ever say you're not or can ever take that away from you. You played even just one second, if that's all it was. You dressed and actually stepped on the ice for an NHL game. It's done. Like, obviously, there's a lot more we want to accomplish in our careers. But you did it. Like, you made it. And I think the goal just kind of, like, reaffirmed that, right? It's like, well, you've had those – you've had seven games prior, but now, like, you're a rookie on this team. It looks like you kind of made the roster. Now you've scored – you, like, actually got on the score sheet for more than just, like, a penalty. (laughs) You've actually contributed to the outcome of the game – you're validated. I remember late later that night, I think we must have had the day off the next day because later that evening, myself, I was still in, living in the hotel in Jersey. So like it was months before I got my residency letter, basically like, okay, you're here now, go find a place to live. We're not covering your hotel tab anymore. But I was still living in the hotel. So some vets I remember who went to like the local dive bar where they'd always go to and I went out with them because we were feeling good. And I did whatever, just get, get the invite from a vet, you go, right? And I'll never forget, the bar was kept open just for us. It was like dead. There was nobody there. But we were watching the highlights. And it was like NHL Network or whatever was on. And it was every like 30 minutes or an hour it was looped. So we saw our highlights a couple of times. And I scored a goal in the game. And I remember Broder, Marty Broder, sitting beside me. And him kind of saying to the bartender, this guy scored his first NHL goal today. And oh, congrats. Maybe I got like a shot or something. And I remember him leaning back and saying like, you have two more to go before you tie me or something like that. Cause he, Marty Broder has a, like one of the best goalies of all time has scored two or maybe three goals in his <laughs> career or something like that. I can't remember what the number was, but he was like, basically he's like, good job kid. But like you, you still haven't scored more than I have. And I just kind of remember that as like, I don't know, the guys were just so great about it. It was really just, I think everyone's been there, right? Everyone knows like what that means. Your first game is something you've kind of made it, but your first goal, if you ever are so lucky to score it, it's, uh, it didn't really have, I don't think, a huge outcome on the score of the game, but it was just one of those things that, especially for defensive defensemen, I'm I'm lucky if I get a couple of these a year. So the fact that I got one like my first game of the season to just take that monkey off your back, sort of, it, w- it was affirmed that I belonged if you can score a goal in the NHL. So I would say, I think that's like kind of the, the continued sort of emotion I felt for, for the week after. Yeah. My next question relates to, it. when you think about, I mean, let's leave, let's leave all the all the Americans out. Let's just talk about Canadians. Okay. You think about just how many Canadian kids grew up dreaming of that, let alone thousands and thousands of American kids and, and European kids and people who are into hockey. Right. When you think about what you did that maybe other kids didn't do that got you into that position, what was your mental state to your work ethic? What was your endurance? What was your, like you think about the years of pain that you Mm -hmm. were willing to endure and, you know, it's not just hard work, it's, it's hard thinking too. What do you think that you did different that not mm-hmm. everybody else did that you made it to the NHL? That's a good question. I mean, there's, there's definitely, uh, there's, there's definitely a skill set that like naturally, you know, whoever kind of makes it has. Now, in a lot of ways, I was definitely raw. As an ath- as a hockey player, I was always some fairly, I had a lot of potential, but I was still very raw. I still need to be chiseled and finessed. I can remember being about maybe maybe only 15 14 or 15 years old like grade 9 or 10 in high school i remember walking home with some buddies after school and uh, we were talking about this one guy they went to a french school but there are guys i knew from my hometown and i played with this one guy who was at the francophone school as well i have been playing with for years and we had kind of been separating ourselves a bit like at the junior ranks at 15 like starting to play above our age group 
And I remember them saying, oh, this guy's not going to make it. And I was thinking, well, if he doesn't make it, like, what do they think about the odds of me making it? Because I'm pretty sure I'm making it. <laughs> you know, but I would have looked at this other, like the the the, the Francophone player is like, well, if I'm making it, he's going to make it too because he's better than I am. But I think the difference there is, so obviously I had a, we had a natural athleticism and skill set that catered well to the game. I was large, but my physicality really helped in like the role I was playing. So that worked in my favor. But beyond that, it was an early discipline. I mean, my work ethic was always there. I don't know where necessarily that came from. But I think that might have been really just kind of ingrained from my family upbringing, generationally speaking, from my parents, my grandparents. There's a lot of success stories in my family of succeeding through a lot of adversity, whether that be just due to the times, racially driven, uh, whatever it may be. So I think that inherently was kind of like a fabric of my DNA as far as the effort I put in, because I was always deemed a guy who like, I might make mistakes, but it's not going to be from a lack of effort. And that was sort of a narrative that always followed me. This guy's always going to give it his best and work hard. But what's the, the grooming of my potential started with getting better coaches and getting to different levels and starting to separate that gap? I mean, I remember being as young as 16 and like having to bail on cottage parties where like all your friends, like your closest 15 or whatever friends are going and everything's like bought and ready to go. And that like, just, I didn't get the okay from either my parents or from whomever, but it was because of a, of sort of a hockey previous commitment or some sort. Um, going, missing my grad trip, you know, everyone loves to go to Mexico when you're Canadian, everyone wants to go to Mexico on their graduation trip before university over their March break or the spring break. I didn't get to do that because I was already playing tier two junior hockey in Ottawa. And we were like either in or about to be in playoffs. And in the, at the level now, we're like, I'm still a little bit distant, but like I'm a year or so away from being an NHL draft pick. There's no way I can go on spring break trip if I'm like actually in, in, in realistic pursuit of being an NHL draft pick. So I think it was also just a certain discipline. I still like worked hard, but played hard, I'd say. I still had a great childhood and I still had like a ton of social, I had a social life, a very big social life. But I, it just came with a lot of sacrifices, even later on as a teen and early into my 20s at those same cottage parties. You know what that's like on a weekend with your friends over a May long weekend or whatever. But I would like bring a medicine ball for my trainer and like go for a run and like do a bunch of like static work or whatever. Do like body squats, do, you know, sit ups, push ups, like do and basically essentially sweat out some of the toxins that I probably put into my body over the last couple uh, evenings. But at the same time, like what 19 year olds going to a cottage party and like waking up to like sweat it out in the morning. But it was just a, not that I needed to do that to make it to the NHL, but it was a, that was the mindset I carried that helped me make it to the NHL was whenever I'm not doing something, there's someone who's probably wanting the same job I'm doing who's working. If I'm not in the gym, there's probably someone who is in the gym right now. So I took that kind of approach to it and made sure I still had my fun along the way. But when it came to work, like I, I went to work and I earned it. And then again, just being blessed with opportunities and doors opening and like I said having an athleticism and a build that could cater to the style of play I was playing things just sort of the, the stars kind of aligned no I love it listen we like to cut these episodes in half I think this is a great place to end for part one everybody tune back in to part two I got a bunch more questions for Mark Mark if people want to connect with you online are you on where's the best places that's a great question between Twitter or Instagram I think, believe I'd have to actually check them out real quick but I think my my Instagram is Mark with a K, M-A-R-K, Mark.Fraser.2. Fraser is F-R-A-S-E-R. And I'm actually pulling this up right now here because I don't know what my Twitter handle is. Uh, but that is at Mark Fraser 2 So at Mark Fraser 2 on Twitter. 
mark.fraser.2 on Instagram. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn and all that other fun stuff too. Great. Bye, everyone.